bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. I'm a black man in a white world. 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 I'm back. And in the words of DJ Khaled, another one. Okay, I'll cut it out. Today we'll have a director, producer, comic, and dad. And we'll find out which one he enjoys the most. Here next on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant, and I'm driving my car safely and legally communicating on my phone. Minnesota law allows a driver to use their cell phone to make calls, text, listen to music or podcasts, and get directions by voice command or single-touch activation without holding your phone. Violations are very expensive. The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes per year, and nearly 400,000 injuries are caused by texting and driving. Not surprising, since four seconds with your eyes off the road is like driving the length of a football field blindfolded. And research shows that just two seconds increases the risk of an accident up to 24 times. Texting may only take a second, but it can end your life or ruin it forever. Please drive safely and stay alive. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. In my opening, I said we would meet a director, producer, comic, and a dad, and we would find out which one he likes best. But I have to ask, does he do a little dance with a little seltzer in his pants? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm goofy. I'm sorry, Rudy. Ruby Pavich of the new Tom Bernard Podcast. How you doing, Rudy? Hey, bud. What's going on, man? I uh, really, uh, really appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much. Not a problem. I've, <laughs> I'm going to set the scene for you, ladies and gentlemen. Last Wednesday, I walked into the broadcast studios for, the, for Tom's podcast, which I've been to many times, and uh, walked past Rudy and just sat down, and I think I scared the crap out of him. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, you know, I was kind of going off of uh, Brittany's reaction, and I was like, well, if she ain't freaked out, then I should be okay. If she's not losing her shit, because one thing I've noticed about a lot of people that roll through that, that door is they are, uh, everybody's a friend of Tom, and everybody has a connection somehow. Right. And half the time, I've never had conversations with anybody, but everybody knows each other. So I, I, every time somebody walks in, I'm like, all right, uh, this is probably going to be okay. <laughs> and I just leave it at that. Yep. Well, uh, the thing that we didn't say to you was, I did 22 years of radio with Tom on KQ and five years of his family podcast. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I knew when uh, you walked in, I was like... Uh, I was like, all right, well, Brittany hasn't uh, started screaming or, like, throwing a fax machine across the room yet. So if she uh, if she feels like she's safe in that room with this guy, then, yeah, we'll just let her bounce. Yeah. So I, I think I made the right choice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I even did a couple of years of the old morning show with Brittany. So. Oh, sure, man. Sure, sure. So how are you enjoying that whole experience to this point? It's only been a couple of weeks, but how are you enjoying it? Yeah, so far so good, man. Um, it is, uh, you know, I've had a lot of radio jobs. Uh, my last one was kind of a slog. It was kind of a pain in the ass. But this one is like a complete 180. You know, like we just come in, we knock out our time, everybody goes home. Like the show kind of 
you know, it, it kind of runs itself. Like once we kick it off from the dock, you know, it's pretty self-propelled. Right. You know, the first couple of shows, it was like, oh, man, how are we going to do three hours? Like, that's a lot of time. <laughs> and now, like, we get to the end of the show sometimes, and I'm like, I don't feel like there was enough time. Right. You know, like, yeah, it got uh, it got to be different uh, the first after the first couple of shows. But, yeah, man, things are good. You know, like, uh, I dig it so far. You know, obviously, Tom's a legend, and, you know, him and I, we've had we've, our paths have crossed many a times, but, you know, never had an opportunity to work with one another. So this is, uh, this is good, you know, like so far so good. So, you know, they haven't fired us yet. In the first <laughs> month, so right. I feel like that is a plus. Yeah. So how did you get connected to the podcast? Well, I was, uh, I worked for Hubbard years ago Okay. and those guys, um, you know, I did a pretty, you know, the problem with like having like a bunch of, a bunch of, uh, <clears throat> experience, and being older, you know, I'm 42, so I got experience under my belt. The problem is when you get people in a position like my position, they're usually young and they don't have skills yet. Right. And when I came to uh, came to Hubbard Broadcasting, I had 25 years of broadcasting under my belt, and I had all these skills in Photoshop and audio editing and graphics. And, you know, uh, being a comedian, I could write, and these guys were just, you know. I kind of set the bar pretty high for anybody else who kind of came in after me. But I was, I, I told those guys after seven years, I'm like, I'm never going to move up in this company. Like I, I'm never, <laughs> there's never going to be an opening for me here. So I need to make a decision. I got to shit or get off the pot with these people. So finally I just, I came to work one day and I'm like, I'm going to give you guys a year to find somebody. Cause it's a big job. And it's, you know, I, I listen, I know how good I am at this stuff and you will never find anybody at my price point who can do the stuff that I do. So I'm going to give you a year and, you know, Hubbard was cool with it, man. It's like, it's no secret. Like after six months, they just came to me and they're like, obviously you don't want to be here anymore. So they just paid me out of my contract and I left and I got to sit on, I got to sit at home for six months and get paid every two weeks. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was the best radio experience ever. So when it came time to do, and I really didn't want to go back to corporate radio. Like I would have never gone back to do like a terrestrial radio gig. Cause I'm just, right. I feel like the business has moved on from it and it's not going to be too much further before, you know, Hubbard is doing such an amazing job with the infrastructure of how to get terrestrial radio stations off of their signals and get them onto a digital platform. And they're kind of the pioneers in it. The fact that they're giving everybody their own app, you know, and we're kind of seeing it with baseball right now. You know, now that Bally's is taking a big turd mm-hmm. and they're, they're basically going the way of the Dodo MLB baseball is like, yeah, why not just give every team their own app? And then you just pay a monthly premium and we give you all the games. And then once it gets to the playoffs, you get to, you know, you, you got an opportunity to, uh, to buy like an extra package or some behind the scenes or whatever it is. But you know, they're being smart about it and they're figuring out that, you know, cause back in the day, you know, you, you ordered cable and when you got, you know, your cable subscription, it was like, well, Hey man, I just want to watch comedy central and ESPN. Why do I need the garden? Yes. Network? And they're like, because, <laughs> yes, because yes. nobody would order the goddamn gardening network if they didn't throw it into the a la carte that you had to take it. <laughs> so, you know, like, but they're kind of slowly, but surely figuring out ways to get around that, that there is a, you know, even the gardening channel has its people and those people are willing to pay, you know, 20, 10 to 15 bucks a month to be able to get that content. And there's, there's such a niche for it now where I think back in the day, it was like, how many eyeballs can we get onto this thing? And nowadays more people are worried about how can we get a thousand people to be passionate about this thing and to interact with it? Because, you know, like the, there's a radio station in Minneapolis called the current mm-hmm. and the current is uh they do a great job. There's two ways to make a thousand dollars. You can get a thousand people to give you a dollar, or you can get two people to give you $500. I would rather try to find two people to give me $500 who are super invested into it. And that's what the current did. And that's what we're doing. You know, obviously Tom's numbers will never be as big as what they were on KQ right. because it just didn't have the reach and people don't really know exactly what it is that this is yet, where to find it, how to listen to it. But our numbers out the gate were massive. And those people are P1. Those people listen all the time. 
So those are going to be the people that when we go out and do live podcasts, they're going to show up. They're going to buy merch. They're going to spread our word. So finding those people is really what it's coming down to. And the fact that that we're doing it in such a way right now that nobody else is doing it, you know, like Garage Logic and Score North were kind of the first two. And then Hubbard had a couple of other markets like St. Louis that they were kind of dipping their toes in the water with this. And then there was two or three shows in those other markets that really took off. And now they're finding that those shows are, they, those shows have bigger numbers than some of the morning shows that are on terrestrial radio. So the fact that it's, it's, it's happening, you know, we're, we're just watching the tides turn. It's just going to take a little while to be able to get people, you know, invested in it. But I think the model is great. I love the fact that we run it exactly like a radio show. We don't, we don't do it, you know, because it's a it's a proven format. I totally get it. You know, like I don't get me wrong, I love to listen to podcasts, but it would be nice if there was a little formatics instead of two comedians just sitting in a room with microphones in their hand, <laughs> not having any yeah. <laughs> sort of structure to a break, right. not knowing how to tease things and not having to, you know, these guys don't. I mean, they just basically they're like, I'll just grab a microphone and be funny, and I'm like, yes, I get it, but there's no angle to it. You know, I, I ramble sometimes. So if at any point, JP, you're just like, okay. could you just stop goddamn talking and let me get a word in edgewise? I would be more than happy to shut the fuck hey, up for you. Hey, I love, <laughs> I love content, but uh, I clearly understand your, your thoughts about two comics sitting in a room. Uh, just to follow up on a couple of things. One, I'm older than you are, so don't talk about being old. I'm how oh, be sick. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, you are. You're way older than I. Yeah. I am a young buck. Compared to you, I am. Listen, compared to the comedy scene here in Minneapolis, I am old fart geezer. But compared to you, JB, I am a spring chicken. Yeah. I, no, I'm kidding. I'll, obviously. <laughs> I'm I'll kidding, be 61 in May. Oh, and, like Mazel tov. You don't look it. You don't well, look it. I'll thank say you. That. Uh, wow. Cable, I still have it because I live in a condo unit that it's included in our uh, oh, sure. HOA. Yeah. <laughs> so we're stuck yeah. with it. Sure. And um, I was born and raised in St. Louis. What? <laughs> that's interesting because that's a heavy, that used to be a heavy, heavy radio market, you know, because they love their radio sports and they love their their music down there. So for, sure. for podcasts to be taken over, that's very interesting. I wonder what the yeah. shows are, but... Um, yeah, you know, and I, I, I feel like they're doing a really good job of being able to do both, you know. Um, they're finding out that uh, there's still a market for people that get in their car and they turn on an FM radio signal. It, they're, they're still there, you know. Uh, those numbers definitely are, are dwindling because you also have a generation of kids that are coming up that have no idea mm-hmm. what radio is. They've never right. heard of an FM signal before, like – you know, they basically from day one, they've always just had a phone in their hands and they've never had to sit by a radio and wait for their favorite song to come on. No, you know, we're they, driving down the highway. My daughter's like, turn on this song and boom, it's right there. So it's a different mindset nowadays. You know, why wait for that content? And, and even like with morning shows, morning shows on radio stations still do somewhat well, um, you know, but they're finding out that they have to pull the music off of it. Because people come there for, they come there for content, they come there for comedy, they come there for, you know, whatever, traffic, weather, even though I don't think they do, but some people, I guess, still do. Right. But they, um, they found that uh, if, you know, they're basically playing two songs an hour and just the other time just filling it with content and a couple commercials because people are tuning out. The second you give them an out, if they hear the right. same song they've heard 8,000 times, they're going to go find something new. Well, you'll love this one. For two years... KQ and 93X, I wrote traffic reports from home for them to read on read on air. They figured oh, no out kidding, huh? they figured out a way for somebody because the the traffic people started telling uh, you know advertisers that they could get them on KQ and uh, 93X cheaper by sponsoring the traffic and our. Sure. Our station director at the time figured out, screw that, and they opened up in a position. They came and asked me. So I literally sat at home, watched two TVs and, and my uh, computer, and wrote traffic reports <laughs> in the morning and the afternoon. Dude, that's, 
That's nope. so funny, man. <laughs> I, I commend you because when I had to do traffic, I just made it up. I didn't right. I didn't look at monitors. I didn't look at traffic. I just made it up. I was like, I don't give a shit. I don't think anybody else out there gives a shit. I'd be like, yep, yeah, there's a car fire over on Highway 41 right now over in uh, White Bear Lake. Probably about 12 minutes if you're on your way uh, up 35W right now. Got a bit of a backup on Highway 36. <laughs> if you're going to be in Roseville, got two salt vehicles on the right shoulder. Over in St. Paul right now, you got one semi, 18-wheeler on the off-ramp to Kellogg Boulevard. Looks like it'll be about 37 minutes, and if you're down on uh, Highway, uh, if you're going to be down on 494 all the way down by Maxwell, oh, my God, it looks like there was a car that may have turned over onto its side. Looks like there's some good Samaritans out there pushing it back right now. Oh, look at that. Got it right back up on its wheels. Uh, probably going to be about another 35 minutes. MnDOT's giving us the report. Uh, other than that, though, traffic looks good. It's brought to you by Jimmy John's. Freaky fast, freaky good. And that would be the traffic report, and I didn't look at any traffic. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, you know, I wrote it and then faxed it over to the people who read it. But then I got to put in things like carbecue instead of a car fire. It was a carbecue. And, oh sure, and it yeah, was yeah. it was called Sky Crip traffic because I was oh, at yeah. home, or blacktop sure. traffic because oh well, let's face it we know why. Anyway, Rudy, can you tell us what main streets you grew up in and how did you get to this point in your life? Uh, I'll give you the broad strokes, man. So I'm originally from northern Minnesota, and a uh, small little town called Hibbing up on the Iron Range. Mm-hmm. And finally, I was like, I got to get the hell out of this place. So uh, I packed up everything when I was 19. I moved to Mankato, and I, my original plan was to be a plumber. Oh. My family owns a roofing company, yeah. and I didn't want to be a roofer. But I had heard through the grapevine that plumbers made a ton of dough and didn't do a lot of work. So I thought, <laughs> that's the job for me. And I had uh, always, like, kind of dabbled in, you know, some art, artsy stuff. Like, I played guitar, and I drew, and, you know, I was kind of like a skateboarder-type kid, and, you know, I was just a little, like, I was just different from everybody else. Like, I was super into, like, you know, I, I was super into art and music, and I just felt a little different than, like, all my other friends. And, like, even to this day, like, I still see those guys, but they're all kind of still super jockish dudes, and I was just, I was just never that guy. Right. So I was like, man, I'm totally, I'll just be a plumber, you know? <laughs> and then uh, my local radio station, WTBX, let, like, a big, like, they let, like, a group of, seniors once an hour come in like on their last couple of weeks of school and just play an hour of some music and i got on the air and you know i think i did i read like one sponsorship and we i remember we played sublime and there was a couple other bands that we had played and the second i walked out of that radio station i was like that's what i'm doing for the rest of my life i'm like that is the most amazing thing ever. And, you know, uh, th- there's just no outlets for anything in northern Minnesota. You know, the fact that there was even a radio station, you know, it's like I hear, there's comics in town that I'm like, when did you get started? They're like, well, my parents were driving me to clubs when I was like 13. I'm like, dude, I, I didn't even step foot in a comedy club till I was well into my 20s. You right. know, like so the fact that these kids have such a, uh, you know, just because of their location, they have such an advantage. But, um, you know, I moved down to Mankato and got a job at a radio at a, a radio station down there for a year and a half. And then I got a part time job in La Crosse, Wisconsin, moved there, worked my way up the ladder from, you know, just some overnight weekend guy to afternoon drive. And after I was there for a bit, uh, just kind of bopped around. And obviously being from Minnesota, like 93X was my that was my jam. Like that was my favorite station. It had the best jocks. I mean, Remy Maxwell, the Half-Ass Morning Show, Don Mastery, Patrick, the Spiky Viking, Dead Eric, Jesse, TJ. It had everybody. And I was like, I was just so driven. I'm like, man, I want that job. I don't want a job like it. I don't want to work at a radio station that's like 93X. I want to work at 93X, and I want to do afternoon drive one day. And it took me about six and a half years from the time I started radio to the time they offered me the afternoon job at 93X. And they came into the studio, and I was filling in at the time. I was filling in afternoons. And my boss, Wade Linder, came in, and he offered me the job. And when he walked out, I just remember, like, laying on the floor, just crying my eyes out. Just like, <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe it. Like, I wasn't the kind – it wasn't a kind of job that right. I wanted. It was the job that I wanted. And then the biggest problem was that I didn't realize because I was young. I was only I was I had just turned 27 and I walked in the first day of getting that job. And I stood at that control board and went, well, now what the hell? 
<laughs> like I worked so hard and I only, I mean, I figured I was going to get this job at like my late thirties and then I would just coast for the rest of my life. Like I'm only 27. I got so much, you know, I got so much, uh, gas left in the tank of stuff I want to do with my life. What am I going to do now? And it was just like, it hit me so hard. And when I was, uh, when I was, when I was in fifth grade, I think I was like 10 years old. I used to watch A and E's Evening at the Improv, and while I would watch it, I would take notes, and I would go to school the next day, and like, I would, I would deliver the bits that I had seen the night before, like they were my own bits, you know. I would say things, and I would get a huge pop out of them. I'd get a big laugh, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Like that was like that was the thing. But there, like I said, there was no outlet. So when I got to radio, I was like, oh my god, I can do this thing and get paid for it, you know, because. Everybody I had heard from was like, yeah, you can't do stand-up comedy. Like, you don't get money for that. That's that's a thing. It's just art. You don't get It's like a painting, you know? You right. don't get money for that. I mean, the people that I knew didn't anyways. So that's why radio is so alluring. So when I was 27, I'm like, I'm like, ah. Oh. So, yeah. So I, and, in fact, I won the fifth-grade talent show because of a set from a guy on A&E's Even at the Improv <laughs> that I had lifted. I just copied it and wow. did it. And I remember, I mean – and this was like desert storm time. Like this was mm-hmm. 1992. So when these guys are like, you know, they're, I'm up there doing material. Imagine like a 10 year old doing material about George Bush and desert storm. And I was just like, but I won, you know, and I remember my principal walking by and she said to me, uh, Mr. Povich, I thought you were very funny, but I question where you got some of your material from. Uh, and I was like, oh, she watches it. He's even the improv, too. <laughs> oh, she knew that it was a little bit more advanced than your age. And by the way, uh, Wade Linder, an A1 person. So, Yeah, yeah. You I know, knew I mean, Wade. Don't get me wrong. He, yep. totally, I mean, he totally, totally screwed me out of thousands of dollars and he doesn't return <laughs> my phone calls. But other than that, he's a super A1 guy. No, obviously, he's a good dude. I, yeah. I just, in fact, I was just down in Chicago because that's where he's at. I was yep. just down in Chicago doing shows like two months ago and I hit him up and I'm like, hey, would you like to come to the shows? And he's like, I'm so glad you hit me up. Unfortunately, my, my kids are in town and I, I, my wife and I just can't. I said, because we were doing shows kind of outside of the metro. I said, not a problem, man. But I told him the next time I roll through, I would love to, you know, get a drink with him. But yeah, super great guy. Love that guy. Well, you mentioned you've mentioned your daughter a couple of times. Um, how is fatherhood for you? Uh, great, man. Great. You know, um, you know, I do a I do a joke in the act where I go, uh, man. I always wanted to be a good dad because when I was two, my dad left. When that happens at that age, you're like, oh, my God, I don't get it. Why did he leave? And then my daughter turned 14. I'm like, okay, now I get it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's because uh, it can be it can be tough. But, I mean, I'm so blessed and fortunate to have such an awesome daughter that, you know, she's uh, I mean, she's a basically a straight A student. Oh, that's I, cool. I mean, I've told her many times. I'm like, you know, I told her before. I'm like, you know, don't get me wrong. Her mom is smart. But I told her, I said, if you took a 23 and me. It would come back that, you know, your parents are an old tire iron and a stump. Like, I don't know how the hell we made such a smart person, you know, especially when one of your parents is a dum-dum. And, uh, but no, she's, uh, she's super studious and she was a gymnast for years and just decided one day, she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm like, you know, when when I was a kid, um, my, uh, my parents made me play football. They made me play sports. I just, I, I saw right. it. I hated it. You know, like I'm not, I'm not very athletic. I'm not one of those people. Like, you know, I mean, I have friends of mine that were you know, going to be going on. I mean, you know, they were starting varsity football when they were in ninth grade. And I'm like, man, I couldn't even start when I was a senior. Like, why am I here? Like, this is so dumb. What a waste of my time. It's, I'm never going to go on and do any of this. So I begged and begged and begged to not do it. And they just, they, they forced me into doing it. And I just always hated it. So when my daughter was like, I want to quit gymnastics, I'm like, that's up to you. Like, you ain't got to tell me. You don't want to do it? Uh, and trust me, for how much it costs, you're more than right. welcome to quit. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, Jim. No, man, it's great. In fact, yeah, I'm taking her to Disney this coming, uh, we leave Saturday. Like, the whole family, me, that's right. my daughter, my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law, my niece. So, yeah, first time we've all been to Disney, we're just going to pull the trigger. I'm glad, like, we're going now. I'm glad I didn't do it when I was young. Because you know, my mom always promised we're going to Disney, and then we never went. 
So I, I'm glad I waited because like now it's got all the stuff that I want to see and my daughter's old enough to remember all of it. Right. You know, it's got Guardians of the Galaxy. It's got Star Wars. It's got it's got cars. It's got Toy Story. You know, if we would have went in the 80s, it was like, what is this, the teacups? Who gives a shit? You know? <laughs> so Yeah, I went in about 96. 96 was a great year for me. I went to Disney. I got to introduce Steely Dan. It was, it, you know... A lot of great things happen. But anyway, um, so you're enjoying fatherhood, um, and you've talked somewhat about your uh, comedy, uh, and you talked a little bit about how you got started, but how's it going? Where you, uh, you, where you going? You got any dates soon? Anything happening? Uh, yeah, but in fact, actually, uh, I'm just getting packed up tonight. Because uh, as soon as the show with Tom is done tomorrow morning, I'm driving to Chicago. I'm doing a theater there with Tammy Pescatelli, who was the, I think she was, she was, I think she was the runner-up on Last Comic Standing on NBC, either the first or second season. And then ever since then, she's just been, you know, yes. she does big shows. And then mm -hmm. she's actually going on the road with Burt Kreischer this summer. Oh, is she? And and she's, uh, yeah, like I met her in Nebraska. I got booked for a show in Nebraska. And I also worked for Adam Carolla. And she was on the Adam Carolla show, you know, like three weeks prior to be getting booked for it. And when uh, I found out I was opening for her, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, I'm such, because I listened to her story and she's, I was, she's so interesting. And I just find her to be such a uh, talented and, and crafty comic that when, uh, I met her. I did. The, we did our. I met her in the green room, and we did our first show that night. And and I had a great set, like a really good. I was and I, you know, so many times, like especially when you start out in this business, it feels like, man, I just want to get laughs. Like, how do I trick the audience into making them laugh? And it's once you finally kind of get the hang of this, it sort of switches to, okay, I know the audience is gonna laugh. But are the comics that I look up to who are standing in the back of the room, are they going to think I'm a hack? And then you kind of start writing material a little <laughs> bit that is, man, I hope this isn't hacky. And then after a while, you just go, oh, fuck it, who cares? Just write what you're going to write. Be you, and who cares what anybody else thinks? If it's hacky, it's hacky. So what? If the, if the audience laughs, they laugh. And when, uh, when I met Tammy, I went out, I had a killer first set, and I came back into the green room, and she was like, that was awesome. Like, that was so much fun to watch. Like, wow. And I was like, wow, thank you, because I'm just such a fan of yours. And then, of course, Tammy got up after me and just destroyed the room. Like, I had a good set, but Tammy just completely leveled that room. And that uh, th that night, she said, uh, she goes, hey, I got to get up and do press tomorrow. Do you want to come with me? I said, yeah, like, do you need a ride or something? She goes, no, 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 do you just want to come and do press with me? And I was like, oh, like, you want me to be on, I mean, to do press with you? She's like, yeah, let's come with me. You be, be on that, be on the air with me. I was like, Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, we can do that. So, uh, yeah. So she's allowed me to, you know, hang out with her. And, and then she called me like three weeks ago and said, Hey, you know, I know you're in the Midwest. You're not too far. I'm flying into Chicago. We're doing this place called the uh, Woodstock opera house. I'd love to have you come open. So yeah, I drive there tomorrow, tomorrow after the show, I drive to Chicago, just outside of Chicago, um, kind of outside of the Metro a little bit, this little tiny town called Woodstock, Illinois, but it is, it's like all Chicago comics. Like everybody goes and does it. I guess right. they pack the place out and the, uh, the place they're putting us up for the night is the bed and breakfast from the movie Groundhog Day. Oh. So I'm like, I'm super pumped to <laughs> go. First of all, I love that movie. And I'm, you know, the fact that I'm opening for her. And then after that, like, uh, I'm going to be, I got a few things coming up in April and then May is kind of a little slow, but then after that, the summer kicks in and then I'll be back on the road with, uh, Jonathan Kite, uh, comedian Jonathan Kite, and then uh, also Adam Ray. And uh, I think I got a couple of dates coming up with Michael Yo from America's Got Talent. Mm -hmm. He's a uh, he's a guy that I've done. I just we met and I was just started working for him, just like doing graphics and whatnot. And uh, he was actually going to have me come out to Vegas a couple weeks ago. And then he said, uh, he said, oh, he goes, you know what, man, it's only one show. And he's like, why don't I book you for like five instead of just having you fly all the way to Vegas to do a half hour in front of me? 
<laughs> I was like, that's cool, man. I'd rather do five shows instead of doing one and then coming home because it's Vegas. So, but I don't know. Now that I think about it, that might actually be a bad thing. He only should book me for one night in Vegas because five shows might be trouble because <laughs> that city gets the best of me every time. So do you mostly uh, tour the Midwest or do you, you know, I know you're going to Vegas, but do you go to L.A. or New York or or Boston, the, the bigger places? Now, saying that, I do understand Minneapolis is a big place when it comes to comedy, though. We've got a great scene. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a great scene. It is not as good as some of the other scenes that are in the market or in the country right now. Like Austin is just like outstanding. Like that's probably of all the places I go, Austin is probably my favorite. I just, I love it. I love the people. I love the city. Sixth street is great. They treat the comics so well. All the comics there are just like lights out, man. They're so good. Uh, I've done New York and I'm not a big fan of New York city. I don't mind it. Uh, I'm not a big fan. I don't go a lot. I, I hate Los Angeles. I don't know if I would ever want to move there, but Austin, I love to go to. I would go anytime. You know, there's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I know we're not as big of a market as some places, like you mentioned, but, you know, like when it comes to Seattle, like we're a much better market than Seattle when it comes to comedy. You know, uh, Nashville, we're so much better. Nashville's a little bit more of a music scene. They got a little bit of a scene there, but, you know, St. Louis, another great comedy town that a lot of people would, would think of. Really, I mean, Great comics, good clubs. So yeah, there's I mean, there's a few spots along the way, but um, you know, I, I for the most part, I bet ninety percent of my shows are in the Midwest. But then I'll I'll go out and do, you know, every now and again, a New York or an Austin or Portland or, you know, I think I'm doing Florida sometime coming up here in the next couple of uh, next couple of months. But of course, they never book me when I want to go to Florida, you know. It's like I got yeah. I got five Winter. shows in Phoenix over a two week period, and it's the third week of July. Right. I'm like, well, I can get 90 degree weather back home. Why do I want to come to 110? Book book those shows in January when it's cold as balls in Minnesota. <laughs> I can I can go warm up for a few days. Um, so you're, I hate to use the word act. <laughs> or, that's, well, that's what it is. Yeah, it's an act. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Is it clean? Is it dirty? Is it uh, how, how how would you say that your uh, style is? It, you know, it, it it morphs. It goes back and forth. Uh, I mean, obviously, I have dirty jokes, but I'm not a per se a dirty comic. I don't think people look at me and go, "That guy's a dirty comic." I mean, and I started. Here's the thing: I started out in a Christian club. Like oh. all of my material was clean. It yes. was so it was squeaky clean. Like you could not find a curse word in any of my stuff at all. And I did that for two years. I only worked clean and I did a ton of corporate events. And then like one day it was like, this is not me. Like I like the fact that I'm clean. And I think writing clean material helps you become a better writer. But it just it, it didn't feel like me, you know, for the and the thing is, is like nowadays the audience can they're, they're so good at being able to suss out if you're a fake or not. They really know. And I've told comic, other comics this too. When the audience lets you know who you are, make sure you listen to them. Because, because you will do things on stage and you're like, that, why did that not get a laugh? That's really funny. Well, it is really funny, but not for your character. The audience doesn't see you that way. They see you as something different. So the fact that those words, I used to do this joke. I don't do it anymore because right away when I started doing it, it was getting a big laugh. And then after a while it, it stops. And I'm like, I just don't know. I don't get it anymore. But there was a joke that I used to do that my grandfather had one time told me, my grandfather caught me on my first date. I was at a restaurant and my grandfather walked up to me and he, he leaned in and he whispered. Now, remember you're from a small town. You don't get a girlfriend. You just get your turn. And oh. that, that joke used to get a big <laughs> that's pop. Bad. And then it, 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 see what I mean? Like even with you going, oh my God, that's bad. It, it used to get a big pop and now it doesn't. And I'm like, oh, because my, you know, the audience's perception of me is different. They don't see me as a guy saying that type of thing. Right. And, and you know, I used to just say that joke. I'm like, God, where I'm from, you don't get a girlfriend, you just get your turn. And that would be, and then as it started to not work, I changed it to my grandfather saying it. So it came from a different angle. Like, oh, 
it's not the comic who's saying it. It's a person related to him. Cause I've yes. already kind of set my grandfather up to be a kind of a crass guy. And I just, and then after a while it just stopped working and I would tell that joke and the audience would turn on me and I'm like, all right, well it's not worth it to get half chuckles the rest of the set. If they don't, you know, if, they, if, they, if the audience starts hating me, it's like, it's not worth one joke. And I've tried it many a times. And it just, sometimes it just doesn't work. So I mean, there's a lot of stuff I do that's clean. There's a lot of stuff I do that's dirty. But I think if you, you know, mix it up, I bet it, I bet it's probably right down the middle. I bet it's about 50-50. Well, it sounds like you have a kind of an artsy soul. Uh, my son is a, an artist, and he's working in uh, uh, gra- graphic design at a company. But uh, he's, you know, he got bitten by the drawing and art bug at a very young age. But for you, it seems like you like to touch all different forms, be it comedy or radio or music or whatnot. Um, But then kind of digging into, well, Googling you, but digging into your life a little bit, uh, I noticed that you have directed and produced some... uh, short films how did you get involved in that and and do you have plans to continue to do stuff like that oh uh you know i i i love i love acting i love doing it i love being i love directing i love editing i love shooting i think it's such a grind that when i was younger i I had it in me to do it and i don't know if i have it in me anymore i think i i think i'm okay with doing everybody else's projects but for me right now, just doing the you know Tom show and being a stand-up, I think that is about all I got left in me. I don't mind doing it every once in a while, and I still like making content. But I feel like it's just kind of not in me anymore. And I love to do it. I lo- And especially, man, I really love to act. Like That is probably, of, of all the things, like I don't mind directing because I like watching things come to life. And I like, especially I like watching... Uh, let me rephrase it. I like telling people what to do. No, <laughs> uh, what it is is I really like giving somebody a note on something or having them do something, and then watching them do it in a certain way that I didn't see before. And I go, "Oh, that's exactly what that was. Yes, you're totally right." Well, how, either you doing it yourself or you interpreting whatever note that I gave you. We got to a place that even surprised me, and I'm happy with it. I think that was my favorite part about directing stuff. But I kind of went out on a high note. I haven't directed or done anything since this, but uh, uh, three years ago uh, – actually, let me rephrase it. It's been two years? Yeah. Well, two years because Louis just passed away a year ago. So Correct. Um, I uh, – uh, I did a, a, a film for Z-Fest, which is like a, a comedic, I can't say comedic, it's a short film uh, fil- a short film fest here in Minneapolis. And the, every year they always have Louis Anderson, who was a part of it, God rest his soul. They would do a, they would do a thing where Louis Anderson would watch all of the, the films and then he would give out his award for Louis' favorite. And Louis Anderson like made such a difference in my life. He, I never met him. And I, th- I think there's a part of me that's kind of happy I never met him, but I knew so many people who loved him. Mm-hmm. And when I was kind of on the fence about my radio job and I just didn't know if I wanted to continue to do it. And I was just, I was burnt out and I really kind of wanted to go into work for myself. And I really wanted to really get into standup and like really, you know, put in some effort into it. And I was listening to him on this podcast of a, le- it was a, some leadership podcast and he was talking about how when he was younger, in his early days in Minneapolis, his dad was kind of on his case about, Louie, you've got to find a job. Like, you got to put this, this comedy dream behind you because it's never going to happen. And he told his dad, Dad, I could go to a job and work eight hours every day and be miserable, or I can work 20 hours a day for my freedom. And that just, like, resonated with me so much. I'm like, yes, I totally get it. And then it wasn't – I mean, it was like – just a couple weeks later, I went in and I, I put my two weeks in. At, I put my year in at my job. And then right after I put my year in, it was like, I bet it was like three months after that, we had produced this short film called Raising a Daughter. We submitted it to Z-Fest. 
And it got nominated for a couple because they do this big awards gala every year and it's awesome and it's fun. And it's a great way for like local talent to like really be showcased. And they do such a fantastic job with it. I mean, it's, it's worth just buying tickets just to go see the films, to go see what's being made. It really mm-hmm. is. Even if you're not in the film community, if you like movies, it's so much fun to go to. And we uh, we submitted this film, and then we went to the gala that night. And that after that evening, I'm just sitting at the table, and all of a sudden, you just see Louis Anderson's face up on this screen, and he's like, "Hey, is he fast? It's Louis Anderson." <laughs> and I'm just kind of like just watching him, you know. And I'm like sitting at the table. My daughter's there with me, and there's a you know people that the cast and crew of our film are sitting at the table. And I'm like, oh, you know, and there were so many good films that year. And Louis gets up and he was like, he's like, I got Louis's favorite. It goes to Team 10. And I kind of looked at the table. I'm like, holy shit, I think we're Team 10. <laughs> and then he goes, Rudy Povich. And I was like, holy shit. I mean, I just like, I the tears started welling up. I was like, oh, my God, the guy who inadvertently kind of set me on a different path in life just told me that I'm worthy of his praise. And I, and then of course, like, you know, I'm starting to well up and they like, go give a speech. And you get up on stage. You're like, I'm so, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. It's like, dude, they're such a big deal. But fuck. Anyways. All right. Shit. All right. I got to go. And then you just leave and you're like, okay, well that speech sucked, but this is the most amazing thing ever. And I have the award just sitting down. I have a little bar in my basement. I just sometimes just go down there and I just have a drink and I just, turn the lights down low and I just sit there silently. I just look at that thing and I'm like, man, like I was just so fortunate to be in a city where guys like that came from a Louis Anderson, a Jeff Cesario, you know, a Mary Mack, a Tim Harmston, people that I just really admire. Right. You know, and some of them, I mean, I even get to kind of at least a little bit at times if they allow it, I get to call them my peers. That's such a like cool thing about it. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. I think I've just been a little too busy. I do. It does strike me every now and again to be like, let's pull out the cameras. Let's get the lighting. Let's write a script. I get it in me every once in a while. But I think for now, like, just I'm, I'm, I'm so busy with stand up and it's going so well. And I'm doing such I'm doing, you know, the rooms that I'm doing are, you know, they're they're quadruple the size I could have ever imagined that I, I would ever get to. You know, I'm getting to a level that. I never, ever, ever thought would be possible. And I'm like, man, if I pivot and start doing other things, I'll be taking energy away from this thing that is paying me back tenfold. So, yeah, I would like to do it again one day. I just don't know if it's in the cards at the moment. Well, all I can tell you is keep a level head and more good things are going to happen for you. Um, I got to be in Louis' presence probably five, six times. And it was because, you know, he would come on the morning show and sure. he would hang out with us. And, you know, the the stuff that went on off air is always 10 times funnier than the stuff that people actually hear. And he oh, was just yeah, absolutely. a po- polite person. He would be interested in you. He would remember you. I mean, I'd walk in, you know, I'm here. I am a bit person that shows up once a week or once a month or whatever. Hey, JB, how's it going? You know, in that Louis voice of his, how you doing? And, you know, it was just very good to be in his presence. The other thing is, and I know he, he being Tom, has talked about uh, doing Comic Fridays or Comic Thursdays. You, if if you guys start that up again, you will enjoy that. I mean, that was 15 years or so of that for me was wonderful. Meeting, you know, headliners and not headliners. I just, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Rudy. I am a, a comedy geek. You know, I probably watch every day. I probably watch a um, stand up, you know on Netflix or somewhere just because it, one, it relaxes me, but two, I just enjoy the, the, I don't want to sound phony, but the craft of comedy. (laughs) Um, And um, I know Tom enjoyed having, because most comics see the world as 
they see it different, but they probably see it the way we should see it. And most of them are very open with their lives. When they get relaxed, they really open up and they tell you things. Um, I can't think there was uh, one day on Tom's show. We actually did. We were supposed to do an hour with a comic and we did an hour and a half. No, we did two hours and a half and I can't, um, think of the guy's name he's on um he's on that show that deals with um that was a sitcom that dealt with uh, a tech company um oh tj miller yes and tj started talking about his life and where he was and the bad relationship he had and we couldn't stop him and it just he opened up this door and he needed to talk about it. And Tom and I just sat there. It was just the three of us. And uh, this is when they had their podcast studio above um, Acme. And TJ just opened up and Tom and I just kind of sat back and said, mm-hmm, and nodded our heads. And the anger and anguish and everything else just poured out in this in this podcast. It was it was something to behold. But I always see comics in in that way. I don't know if you feel that way or not, but that's the way I feel. Yeah, absolutely. I I like when comics want to get out, and that's one of the things like I I love about Tammy Pescatelli is that we'll do sold out shows and. They'll go, hey, you know, like all the shows are sold out. We had you set up for a radio interview tomorrow morning. You don't have to go. She'll be like, no, of course I'm going. Like, I'm, I, because the next time I come to town, I want people to, you know, next time we come to town, I want there to be six sold out shows, not just three. And I'm going to go and I'm going to make people, you know, know what they're missing out on. And there's a lot of comics that don't want to do that nowadays. We're having a tough time finding comics that want to come in. They just they just don't feel the need for like that sort of publicity anymore. They're That's you know they're sad. so they're so invested into like social media and Instagram Live and stuff like that that they don't even think about it. And I'm like, dude, just just go, just go do it. It's 20 minutes out of your day. You might get a couple of new fans. It's totally worth it to be able to meet those guys because when you do finally pop. And you come back to those towns and you got to try to sell out a theater. Guess whose radio show you got to get on. <laughs> right. <laughs> be like, be like, Hey, I was here last time a year and a half ago and you guys were nice enough to let me come on. Even though I had a sold out show at a club that held 75. Well, now I got to try to sell 2000 tickets at a theater. You better get your ass on the radio and you better make sure that people are cool and that they remember you because they're going to want to know and you're going to be able to want them to know that they can buy your shit. So, yeah. So the fact that there's still comics out there that want to do it is great. But there's a lot of comics nowadays that they almost like look down on it. I, don't, I, I guess I just don't get it. Plus trying to get people from the venue to, you know, drive comics at 6, 6 7 a.m. to come in and do a spot. You know, it's like, well, first off, we're comics. We. None of us get up. I get up because I'm an adult and I have shit to do. Right. There's a lot of comics that don't get up until like noon. And I'm like, man, you guys are missing out on a lot of time. And a lot of them just, you know, screw off until, you know, until whenever. Um, But uh, I'm glad that we're trying to get that going on the show again. And hopefully we do. Um, It's proving to be a little harder than what it was. Back in the day, like you couldn't, it was a revolving door. I mean, everybody came in. Everybody. And nowadays, like it's, it's, you know, we got a couple of consistent people like Adrian Washington stops by. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. There'll, yes. there'll be a few people, but mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to it's slowly but surely getting back to that. Well, and, it, and it's nice that Acme and uh, House of Comedy will pick up their acts and bring them to a studio. At least they, used to, yeah. at least they used to do it in the past. And, um, the other thing we kind of ran into was all the comics started doing podcasts. <laughs> sure, yeah. And they couldn't do your podcast because they were contractually bound not to do other podcasts. So it just yeah. became like pulling teeth. Can you come in? No, I can't because I 
got my own podcasts or yeah, but can I, you know, <laughs> in a couple of, and it, and it was, it, it, it really humbled Tom, but in a couple of uh, times, they wound up interviewing Tom. The comic wound up and said, hey, I need this for my show. Can I interview you? And then an hour later, we turn around, reboot everything, and Tom would interview the comic. So it, yeah, it's like, like an audio swap. Yeah, I right. totally get it. Yep. So maybe that's a possibility, but I, you know, I just know that that was some of my probably best times outside of, like I said, the BS that goes on on a show like that, and you know, off air when you everybody's taking digs at each other or yeah, slinging the BS or whatnot. I used to get because you know I would go to KQ, do my day or whatever, and then leave. I'd ne- I wouldn't hang around the rest of the week or anything like that. And I'd sure. see somebody, and they would say hello to me, and I'd turn to somebody and say, what's his name? And be told the wrong name on purpose. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I called this one guy. His name was uh, Jeff Litt. I called him Carl for three weeks because somebody told me his name was Carl. <laughs> That's right. yeah. That's so, good, man. Um, That's so do you have any other interests? Or you, it sounds like you might be a sports fan, even though you, you stopped playing athletics. Yeah. I mean, I watch, but you know, like I can't talk like last night I was with KJ, a comedian. He's such a basketball fanat- you know, fanatic. He was like, man, did you happen to see when the, you know, the Nets played the Hawks? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, thought you were a basketball guy. I'm like, no, oh, I like that. I mean, I'm a Wisconsin sports guy. I like the Bucks. You know, I like to watch the Badgers. I, I like to, you know, watch the Timberwolves every now and again. But I, my brain just doesn't comprehend, like, it doesn't retain sports names. It doesn't re- retain players or games. I remember the big stuff. I remember the broad strokes. But I don't remember any, like, you know, my, my brother-in-law is just like, I mean, Christ, he can tell you the batting average of a guy who played for the Cincinnati Reds in 1987 who only played three games. And I'm like, dude, I couldn't tell you the starting lineup of the Milwaukee Brewers right now. And I'm a fan. So right. my brain just doesn't retain that kind of information. But no, man, I, I enjoy it. I like it. But uh, I just, yeah, it just doesn't get there. So you, I got uh, enough stuff. I got enough stuff, JB. Right. I got enough stuff keeping me busy. I wish I, wish I had more time for it, but. Do you uh, do go out yeah. to events every once in a while? or What's that? I said, do you attend a uh, sports event every once in a yeah, while? Yeah, like, uh, you know, my daughter and I just went to a Timberwolves game. John Morant was in town with the Grizzlies. So we went and had a blast. I love going to the games. You know, a little crazy with the ticket prices and $16 yes. for a beer sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah, but it's, a, it's fun. Like, we're going to the Twins-Giants series. A friend of mine is from San Francisco, and he's going to be in town. So we're going to go check out the Giants with him. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I don't go to pro football games anymore. It's too much. I, I don't like the fans. It's <laughs> I hated the Metrodome. That put a sour taste in my mouth. So I was just like, ugh, I'm just done with pro football. I mean, unless it's Lambeau. I'll go to I'll go to Lambeau because I, I, I love the feel of it. I love the party, the camaraderie. It's fun. But to go... To go up to U.S. Bank Stadium now with that, I just, man, it just, I don't have it in me. You know, like, uh, I I'm, don't know. I'm not a pro football fan. I mean, I, I think this past this past season I watched a total. If you added up the time, it maybe was a half of a game. Yeah, But, sure. I, you know, I still know a lot about the game and this, that, and the other. I worked in college football for 20-plus years, so – um, but I went to the last game at the dome and it was the, uh, Vikings versus the, uh, lions. And I'm the type of person I see when I'm at a sporting event, I see things that most people have no clue ha- even happens. Like one time I was watch, I was at a bar watching a gopher Michigan state football game. And I heard a loud pop coming from the TV. And I was like, did you guys hear that? And they're like, well, what are you talking about? I was like, it sounded like a cannon 
And then it's like, oh, you're crazy. Uh, about two minutes later, we figured out that the quarter, and it was Kirk Cousin, by the way, his helmet exploded. And there was a oh, hole, no there was a hole in his helmet big enough to put your fist through. And everybody looked at me and said, you heard that? I said, yeah. I, I, that's why I don't like go to parties a lot of time and whatnot, because what they're looking at and see for me is totally different because I was an equipment manager 40 plus years of my life. So sure. I'm looking at, I'm looking at his chin straps unbuttoned. Can you button your chin strap? Because it, it, I'm looking at that and it's like, you're bothering me now. Can you <laughs> button? Are your shoes untied? Or his jersey's coming off? Or, you know, that coach just did something and most people didn't even pay attention to it. And it's like, hey, guys, this may happen because I saw this. And so I, I watch a totally different thing. But I'm at that last game and I'm just sitting there and I'm just – Pan, you know, we're in one of the end zones, which where if you were to scout a game, that's where you would sit because you can see all the players and see everything as it happens before it happens. And, you know, I don't root for the Lions. I don't root for the Vikings. I just kind of sit there. And at the end of the game, somebody dumped a bucket of popcorn on my head because I wasn't a Vikings fan. Oh, yeah. See, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the fan. I, I hate the fans. Oh, Christ, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> But what do you do when you get one of those type people in your audience? Uh, you know, very seldom do we ever have to deal to. And luckily, like, you know, you've been doing this long enough that you never have to really kind of deal with it too much. But, yeah, we're fortunate that, uh, you know, you, you keep stuff in your back pocket that, you know, works every time. You know, somebody gets a little out of hand. You got a couple of go to lines that, you know, will get them back on. And a lot of times I just ignore it, you know. Until until it becomes something that you just can't ignore anymore, then you have to stop down and be like, "All right, you gotta go, dude. It's time for you to go. Sorry, don't want to be that guy, but you gotta go." Right. If you don't know how to handle yourself in a public setting, you know this can't be the first time you've ever come to a comedy show. Right. So anytime it happens, man, yeah. Like luckily, you got a few people that uh, you know, especially like you know, bouncers and whatnot, managers that can usually rectify a situation pretty <laughs> fast. So yeah, and. Well, here's a question I've been meaning to ask a comic. Do you think the world of comedy, because uh, uh, the cancel culture in, in this country right now, um, do you think that you uh, have to worry about what you say or you just say what you're going to say and just people just have to deal with it? Or... And the other thing is, I'm starting to feel like comics are whining about being held back. Do you feel that at all? Um, huh, that's a good question. Maybe, I, you know, I think the comics that whine about holding back are those that don't know how to craft an angle or a joke. Okay. They talk about, like, I can't make this funny because it's the crowd's fault. Well, no, it's not the crowd's fault. It's your fault. You need to figure out a way. And that's the angle that you want to take. You need to figure out a way to, to make it funny. I think that there's some people out there right now that are pushing envelopes, and it's helping us, like the Dave Chappelle's, the Joe Rogan's, mm -hmm. the Jim Jeffries. Chris Rock. And they're finding ways to be able to do it that they can just do it and not have to worry about it. I think there's there's this kind of, like, there's this middle ground where you can get canceled. You know, there's, you can say whatever you want when you're a nobody because nobody knows you. Listen, you're already canceled. It's not like, you know, I tell it to like comics that are already like, you know, like my white comics that my, my friends who are white comics in their 40s. I'm like, you're already canceled. Like, nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Like, you, it doesn't matter what you say. You're already canceled. And then you have guys that are Bill Burr, Jim Jeffries, Dave Chappelle, uncancelable because they're just, they're so big and they have such an audience. It's the people that are kind of in the middle. Those are the people that can get canceled. Those are the people that can get thrown out. And I guess like, I've never really had to worry about it too much. You know, I do a joke about pronouns, which isn't, you know, every comic right now has a joke about pronouns. It's nothing crazy. 
Right. I don't do it in a way that's harmful or disrespectful. And I do a really good job of being able to set it up before I do that joke. You know, I have, you know, I have a, I have a gay stepbrother. I have a black sister. I have a black niece. I have a black nephew. And these are people in my life that I 100% truly, absolutely love and adore. So I would never go into something maliciously. I would never write content to just be a dick about things. I always write it from a place that has an angle that's funny. You know, right. I have a friend of mine who is trans, who his name was Nate, and then Nate became Natalie. And I, I wrote about Nate as an angle that, you know, it's about two about it being two different people and you have to treat you have to treat this person like a brand new person that you've never met before. And it gets a big laugh. It gets a good laugh because people know it doesn't come from a place of hatred or um, contentment for a group of people. It just comes from a place that's funny and I still love this person regardless of how they identify and letting that conveying that to a crowd before you just launch into your, you know, there's a, there's a, as Chris Eggert from channel five was talking about today, there's a reason why certain stories are placed where they're placed. There's a reason why certain jokes in an act are placed where they're placed. I could never open up with that trans joke because people would be like, Oh my God. Like this guy's a homophobe. We would, <laughs> right. you know, they would hate me. But once they get to know me and they see that I can be silly and that, uh, you know, I love my daughter and I, I love my family and you know, my my stepbrother who who is gay and my sister who is black and I have this very diverse family. Once they see that about me, then I can tell the trans joke because they know it's not coming from a place where I'm trying to be hurtful. So. Yeah. So that type of stuff is, it, it takes a while to get there, but you know, once, uh, once you get there, <laughs> well, uh, but trust me, it's a lot of, it's a lot of getting up on stage yes. eating at it before you realize that. <laughs> uh, I do have to ask the, the, the topic du jour of comedy right now. Did, did you happen to watch the uh, Chris Rock uh, latest special? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny. Um, I did he obviously too. did exactly what everybody thought he was going to do. He's going to hold off on that big closer with the Will Smith stuff until the end. I thought he didn't hold back on any of it. And there were some people that complained that he was talking about being rich. He's a rich guy. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't identify with <laughs> poor Chris Rock anymore. He identifies with rich Chris Rock. And he's trying to figure out a way that um, lets people know that he knows where he is that you know he's talking about sending his daughters to a private school my daughter's in a private school i don't make anywhere near the amount of money that chris rock makes but i try to figure out a way to talk about that stuff that makes it relatable as does chris if he got up there and talked about how he was um you know if he got up there and talked about how he was uh, a different different guy you know if he was like you know um man i'm so broke they'd be like what you're chris rock dude what are you talking about like you know of course you're rich you're chris rock so yeah, man. So it's, uh, it's different. I love it, man. I love it. I, I swear to God, JP, I will, I will leave you with this, that if I ever get punched by Will Smith, you bet your sweet ass the next day I'm going to sell my story to whoever wants to buy it. I would not <laughs> sit on it like Chris Rock. <laughs> I, would, well, I would have sold that story and my opinions to People Magazine the first day. <laughs> the fact that he waited, is a, uh, that shows a lot of character. Right. He really thought about his his uh, his what he was going to say his rebuttal not me i'd have been in a place of, of anger and he didn't and i would have screamed my ass off and then i would have gotten paid and then i would have had seller's remorse 10 weeks later when i was like i could have made a lot of money if i had just kept my mouth shut well he yeah he talked about being rich but he also let us know that being rich doesn't solve everything and he has problems just like we do Absolutely. Yep. And also, um, yes, he waited a year, and people were like, why isn't he suing? Why isn't he getting uh, Will Smith arrested, this, that, and the other? And as I'm watching it, this popped in my head. They used to tell, uh, especially athletes, but uh, maybe politicians too, don't fight with the press because they buy, you know, especially newspaper people, they buy ink by the barrel, meaning you can never win because they can always write something else after you say something else. Sure. And 
that was Chris's response was never slap a comedian on stage because he can always come back and roast your ass in his next special. <laughs> sure. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, dude, this has been a little slice yeah. of heaven, man. Thank you so yeah, much for having me. It has been. And, and things continue as is, and you're still producing you know, on Tom's show. I'm going to have your butt back just to see how much different you feel about things. <laughs> absolutely man absolutely right. well, I pre- we'll catch you down the road my man yeah i appreciate it rudy this has been rudy pavage uh producer actor i mean yeah act minor actor director sure. comic and now the producer of the new tom bernard podcast here on the jb's low tech podcast Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, bud. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant, and I'm driving my car safely and legally communicating on my phone. Minnesota law allows a driver to use their cell phone to make calls, text, listen to music or podcasts, and get directions by voice command or single-touch activation without holding your phone. Violations are very expensive. The National Safety Council reports that cell phone use while driving leads to 1.6 million crashes per year, and nearly 400,000 injuries are caused by texting and driving. Not surprising, since four seconds with your eyes off the road is like driving the length of a football field blindfolded. And research shows that just two seconds increases the risk of an accident up to 24 times. Texting may only take a second, but it can end your life or ruin it forever. Please. Drive safely and stay alive. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. To put a bow on another episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today's In the Mind of JB, and I kind of spoke about it with Rudy, is are comics getting whiny about being stifled and, and quieted? Or do they deserve to be stifled and quieted? Freedom of speech, people, but I don't know how you feel. That's up to you, and that'll be... My last thought of this episode, tell a friend, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and many other outlets to hear the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African American, black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.